This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, December 17, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Two wars, a military mission adrift, a sluggish economy, and record federal debt and spending. Something has to give. Christopher Preble, Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, argues that more careful military budgeting and an honest reckoning of the military's purpose should be on the front burner for the new Congress. I think a lot of us are waiting to see what the election of 2010 means for foreign policy in 2011 because most of the people who were elected did not have to take a position on foreign policy in order to get elected. And since they didn't have to, most chose not to. Uh, So it's a little hard to tell what their instincts are. My argument is, and I think others agree with me, that if the impulse behind the Tea Party movement broadly defined is limited government, some variation thereof, then it's hard to have big government abroad and small government at home. Um, It's inconsistent philosophically. It's also expensive. And that's the other big issue is the the deficit and spending. And I think that there there are definitely some new members who are really committed to deficit reduction. And then there are some um, uh, more experienced members who are going to be moving into chairmanships or other senior positions who are really committed to trying to get the budget under control. Specifically with regard to uh, authorizations that have taken place for uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, those were taking advantage of some budget tricks that right. – uh, um, Presumably, somebody like uh, Paul Ryan in the House would uh, would want to do away with. Right. I mean, I think there has been for a few years. There's been kind of growing anxiety or resistance to folding a lot of things into the so-called supplementals or emergency spending, and the abuse of the term emergency is really kind of worn out. Uh, and I think, at a minimum, um, I think there's going to be more discipline around, um, you know kind of forcing the administration to be clearer in their goals for the year and for a few years out, their uh, their medium-range projections for the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan in their budget submission from last year are completely unrealistic. Everyone realizes they're unrealistic. And I think there's going to be more pressure from the Congress uh, on the administration to to be honest, or if the if the administration isn't honest, then the Congress, which of course writes uh, spending legislation, is going to kind of force the issue. I think, um, and I think that as it's harder to to kind of keep the spending on the war. Again, the spending now is shifting much more to Afghanistan than to Iraq. Um, you're going to start having to answer questions. That is, members of Congress are going to have to start answering questions. How much is this costing us again? How long are we planning to be there? What exactly are we doing there? And that's the kind of question that so far, uh, you know, most members have preferred not to answer. And again, they they aren't responsible for the mission, so they they can kind of avoid it for a while at least. Specifically uh, with regard to Afghanistan, President Obama recently said, well, we're making progress, but that progress is fragile. Right. And if you use a, if you use the term fragile in relation to achieving specific war ends, right. it seems like, uh, to borrow a phrase, you're doing it wrong. Right. You're doing it wrong. Um, I think there are two two aspects of what the president 
said and has said, this whole notion of a Afghanistan review, I could have predicted to you three months ago that the results of the review would be that we're making progress, but we need to keep going. And what the reason why is because the social scientists and other experts in public opinion will tell you that the public will support you as long as they think you're making progress. So you just say you are, even if you aren't. And that's what the president's getting at when he says, it, it is fragile, which is to say it's reversible. It can – the progress that we have made could be reversed if we were to withdraw by his standards prematurely, whatever that means. We've been in the country for nine years, so it's a little absurd to be talking about a premature withdrawal. Um, no, you, you win victories in war. You win battles and a succession of battles and other things. You break the will of the, of the enemy and you win. Uh, but of course, the war in Afghanistan is more accurately a nation-building mission or an occupation or a counterinsurgency, whatever term you want to use. And it's not about winning battles. It's not just about killing the enemy. It's about trying to build a functioning government. It's trying to buttress the authority of that government. It's trying to win the allegiance of the people. It's a very, very different ballgame. A lot of the people who supported the surge strategy in Iraq uh, now transition over into Afghanistan and say, look, this, this is, this is, we just got to give this time. We got to uh, get this working, ignoring all the fundamental differences uh, between the two um, countries. How much currency is that really going to have in 2011 with a new Congress, uh, with people who are looking for spending cuts and, one hopes, looking to reshape what our military is supposed to do? Right. I think in the very near term, which is to say in 2011, uh, you're not likely to see a lot of pressure from Congress to, to you know, draw down in Afghanistan. I think that's unfortunate. I think you can make, continue to make the arguments that we've been making that the war in Afghanistan doesn't serve American interest and certainly not the way we're prosecuting it now with 100,000 troops on the ground. But to, to get back to my earlier point, it's when you start – doing the math on 100,000 or 75,000 or 60,000 troops in Afghanistan for an indefinite period of time or a very long period of time. And you're starting to talk about it. It's a lot of money, okay? It's just a lot of money, over $100 billion in a country whose GDP generously is $14 billion, probably not even that much. Um, it just it doesn't look right. To the American people, they say, we're spending how much to do what? To fight whom exactly? Th those kinds of questions are harder and harder to answer because there is a tension between trying to you know, fight and kill al-Qaeda or the Taliban and, and supporters like that um, and what we're actually doing in Iraq. You know, uh, Hillary Clinton recently was quoted as saying, if we, if we leave Afghanistan, then it means all kinds of girls aren't going to be able to go to school anymore. Well, is that what we're doing there? Because if that's the mission, then yeah, you, you do need to be there for a very, very long time in very large numbers, and it's really expensive. So I think, you're, I think what's, what's likely to happen first is members of Congress kind of working their way back from the numbers and saying, this is, this is really expensive. What are we doing exactly? Who are we fighting? What's the mission? How long do we think it's going to take? And then when the, when the answers come back and they realize, well, the reason why we're spending so much is because our ambitions are very are, are, are ambitious. Or, you know, we really have some very ambitious goals. Then I think there's there's going to be more pressure on the con from the Congress to redefine the mission to to you know set on a glide path to draw down more quickly perhaps than the administration currently plans. And uh, and hopefully, the you know the, that's one of the salutary effects of some fiscal pressure is that it forces some tough choices. Speaking of tough choices, the United States has 
uh, military presence in a lot of countries around the world. And as Ben Friedman uh, points out, we protect these countries, and in exchange, they let us. And uh, is that a choice that is is that a choice that could be on the table in terms of saying, well, look, South Korea, uh, and to, and to various other countries like that. We're not doing this anymore. Well, well again, I think Cato has, has made, you know, has a very, a very solid reputation for making the case for why the missions in, in Europe and in East Asia can and should be drawn down. I think that right now there is growing political support for a drawdown first in Europe. We see those troops as being increasingly irrelevant to our own security and just frankly unnecessary. I think there's still some concerns in East Asia that the presence, the U.S. presence there, um, it, you know, has a beneficial effect. I'm skeptical of that, but I think that's one that's, that's likely to be a harder sell politically. But I think it's very significant that the Deficit Reduction Commission explicitly called for reducing, that is, the President's Deficit Reduction Commission, the Bull-Simpson Commission, um, specifically called for reducing the overseas troop presence by a third and focusing especially on Europe. So I think, again, the, the kinds of arguments that we've been making for a long time are starting to gain some traction. And I think the reason why is because the, the fiscal pressures just, you know, are forcing the choices. And frankly, the choice to withdraw troops from Europe isn't a hard one. Um, you know, they've, they've remained there as much by inertia as anything else. And I think now you're starting to see a, a countervailing pressure. It's interesting that the uh, bulk of the reductions are suggested to come from Europe. It seems like the stakes of maintaining a presence are actually higher for the U.S. in a country like South Korea. Right. Well, that's interesting the way you put it because I agree with that and that's the case that Doug and Doug Bondow and Ted Carpenter and others have made for a long time is that the risks are very high and the benefits that the United States derives from having a permanent presence in the Korean Peninsula are, are very low. Um, I think, again, in the short term, the, the belief is that the presence of those troops provides a deterrent, but and, and deterrent works until it fails. <laughs> and then when the, you know, if and when, uh, uh, you know, an incident occurs and U.S. troops are caught in the middle, then I think that's really going to, if that happens, God forbid, uh, then I think it will it will kind of reveal to people how risky these missions can be. Again, it, you know, as long as it works to deter uh, uh, an incident or, or even a full-scale war, for example, between North and South Korea, and then people can point to that and say, see, they're having a stabilizing effect. Um, and, and that really will be the nature of the debate for the next few months, especially in, in that region. Christopher Preble is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.